Welcome, TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the very copper-bottomed Elliot Shibley. Copper-bottomed? <laughs> yeah. Is that is that like apple bottom? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it it essentially means you can be trusted and you're reliable. You're oh. you're yeah, you're safe and you're reliable. You're sturdy. You're a good partner. That's what I was getting at. I kind I like of that. I've never it. heard that phrase. No, yeah. So I I don't know if it's really applicable to describing a person. Per se, why not? Uh, but well, exactly. That's why I did it. That's what I did it. But I think it's more about maybe an investment or a deal or a plan that you have. It's a copper bottom to plan. But okay. today we're using it to describe you. Either way, I'm very appreciative. You're yeah. You're welcome. So our guest today is Nicola. Nicola is a professional photographer with a passion for architecture, yachts, food, golf, and fashion. And he currently has 14 books published from the Komodo National Park to 12 City Guides and his World's Book of His Own Art Photography. All of them are very cool, and you can check them out on his website, which is in the show notes. And when it comes to photography, Nicola is very attracted to cultures in transition, and we talk about that with him in this episode. And he's been living in Bali for the past 20 years, and he has been able to see the impact of development in that up-and-coming city which is really cool and he also has a youtube channel where he interviews other photographers choreographers divers pro tennis players musicians and a whole list of other people that he is really passionate about and he's got some really interesting conversations on his channel and (laughs) he's done a lot of different things in his life but it was just a wonderful conversation and we really hope you enjoy it yeah it was a great conversation that was we we sort of went off on a, on a tangent, I think, in the Several beginning. tangents. Yeah, yeah. But that's, I think, what made it great. So he was a really fun guy to talk to. Uh, before we get into the podcast, though, very quickly, I just want to run through what we have going on. The travel, the traveler, the travel blueprint tutorials, the video tutorials are available for purchase. They break down essentially how you can become your own travel agent. Think about it like this. Whatever you're going to pay a travel agent to do, you can learn to do it on your own for $25. And an hour, 15 of your time. Yeah, it's all the tools that you need to understand how to navigate in a brand new city, to book cheap airfare, to sift through the countless travel blogs and restaurant reviews online, understanding social norms and safety, uh, how to be a thoughtful traveler. We essentially compiled all that information into this video tutorial for you to check out and and take a crack at becoming your own travel agent. Save some money this year and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, we offer airline um, booking services where we just take 20% off of the savings of your flight. So whatever it ends up being, whatever we save you, and we'll determine what the actual price was going to be before we end up going through with the process, but we just take a cut of that. So if you want some significant airline savings and maybe aren't sure exactly how to do it on your own, we can help you do that. Lastly, travel around table series. I think if I were to describe this this series in one word, I would use the word informative. They're always very informative discussions where we have multiple people with uh, rel- uh, professionals in whatever topic that is that month, we break it down, we get into great group discussions, we bounce ideas off of one another, and they always end up being really good conversations that you can rely on for your own travel planning, whether or not, whether it's teaching abroad or backpacking or budgeting, really good conversations there. 
lastly, if you want to follow along with our guests and how we release our podcast and when we release them, social media is probably the way to go. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, we post pictures provided to us by our guests to those feeds. Check those out, comment, like, engage, do whatever it is you want to do there. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Without further introduction, please give it up for our next guest, Nicola. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Nicola, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Thank you. We are very excited to chat with you today. You have been living in Bali for the last 20 years, and I'm really excited to talk to you about what it's like right now during this pandemic. But you grew up in Yugoslavia, then it became Serbia, and you moved around for a little while at a young age. And now you even have a young daughter that has lived in many apartments in the first year of her life. So we're just very excited to talk to you about your well-traveled knowledge. And let's get started by talking about why you moved to Bali at the age of 24. Uh, uh, a pure escapism. Uh, I, uh, life completely fell, ap fell apart in probably three days. I was, uh, I was a musician there. Uh, my band was kind of like getting up uh, in that, that kind of like how bands get up. Yeah. Uh, we were super fortunate to, to know pretty much the biggest band there. They loved us. They we opened for them many many times. Like I played, I don't know, three thousand people, five thousand people. I played the stadium and all that. And I worked in the first uh, uh, independent newspaper. Uh, my best friend's father started this newspaper, who will be assassinated ten years later. Um, and then uh, uh, in three days, my band like made an album, and we were kind of like going on a tour and all that. And everything fell apart in three days. I lost the job. My band kind of like split up, let's say. Uh, uh, I had to move back from my parents' apartment to, actually, from my apartment to parents' apartment. <laughs> and uh, that happened in three days. And then six months of uh, depression that is only known to 24-year-olds. And then a uh, decision to move to Bali. Uh, my uncle called. I was going back and forth between going to Bali, staying there. And that was the moment where I kind of like was into moving to Bali. I asked him to uh, move to Bali and I had a ticket and all that. And three weeks later, I was in Bali. So uh, escapism. Wow. So that's uh, much what I want to add context to this uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with it. The American education system, I don't think, touches up on what happened in Yugoslavia in too much detail. But essentially... There was uh, the, the president or leader of Yugoslavia died, and um, eighty, eighty something, yeah. And and it, it caused essentially civil war among the different countries. Correct? Is that? Yeah, it, it took a that, while, and then and then Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia. It was kind of like a weird war where you, we have like three sides that are shooting at each other. Uh, it's right. uh, it's something that is uh, horrific. I mean, the experience of it, I didn't really have the experience because I'm, I'm from the capital city and uh, and I didn't have the first-hand experience of, of the war, in like first front lines, but I did go to the army and I was lucky to escape uh, this uh, thing. I mean, I was actually shifted from one unit to another. The, the unit that I was in was shipped off to war and I escaped this thing by being shipped somewhere else. So... Wow. Uh, um, and then, I mean, like when I moved in 98, 
Uh, I moved back and then in 99, Belgrade was bombarded by NATO allies. Uh, and so I had to watch that and listen to uh, my mom, uh, you know, kind of like having this conversation of like uh, day one of bombarding and you're like, hi, how are you? The bombs are coming and you kind of like click and you're just, you just don't know. I mean, wow. I, I had this experience of... Uh, of my brother was working for for a TV station in Belgrade that was that the bomb was actually put there, and uh, he wasn't working uh, that uh, that night. But many of his friends died and all that. It's just it's a horrific story. I mean, it's just uh, you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to live through that. So, no, yeah. But I mean, but, but basically, I mean, then I mean, like then when you talk about uh, this war. Uh, you know, to people in Belgrade, it was like the best time ever. The clubs were working from 7 a.m. to to 11 a.m. So you're partying from 7 a.m. to 11. Then you go home, sleep, and then you kind of like whoever got adjusted was barbecuing six o'clock, watching the fireworks. So that is the experience. Like a lot of weed, a lot of like, like wow. everything. You know, like it just wow. it's just kind of like a free fall. So it's, it's like a weird experience. That when you listen to it, it sounds horrific, and it was very horrific. But when you actually talk to people in Serbia, they're like, ah, you know, like it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. Like, One of the so my wife and I actually recently watched a documentary about this family in West Virginia, and they talked about this um, concept called fatalism. And a lot of West Virginians work in coal mines and they're prone to accidents. You typically die early if you don't die in an accident because of black lung disease. So a lot of these families adopt this fatalistic mentality where they live every day as if it's their last and they don't really care what happens tomorrow as long as they're having fun today. So that kind of reminds me of how people, based on your story, acted during the civil strife it was just kind of like we're going to enjoy our time as best as we can while we're alive uh, a lot of black humor and escapism but really like it just uh, rips into your soul uh it doesn't leave uh whether you like to admit it or not i mean like you know it's just a, a stressful time for sure yeah how could it I, be? I i haven't lived uh, i i really haven't i i, I actually lived it I think that, you know, like kind of like almost like uh, players, you know, like, I mean, if you play a game, yeah. it's one thing. But you're, if you're sitting on a bench, which I kind of was, it's it's even more stressful. So it's like, I don't know, like it's, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's what happens. So that's it. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, all right. Well, let's not, I guess, let's yeah. not turn this into a yes. war podcast. <laughs> 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 so, all right. Now you're in Bali and... Did you have a passion for photography before you went to Bali, or did you develop it while you were there? No, I I, I took maybe uh, three photographs uh, before Bali, and uh, uh, I have to thank my uncle actually, who who brought me to Bali for this type of thing. He had a jewelry business. He handed me a camera, and he said, "We need photographs of jewelry," which is difficult to do when you're starting with this and then it took me what was a week to find the freaking on button and then uh you know he was a hard ass so so he was just you know whatever i was doing for like probably a month was like no 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 i was sitting one day the, the, the light hit this piece of jewelry i took the photo and that was it i mean that was just i was done uh this is what i was doing uh 
it took me a little bit maybe a year or something to kind of like or two actually to to fully commit to this but then when i committed it was mixture of hunger and then ending up in this you know like uh, working for big hotels uh, uh photographing yachts uh doing uh, i don't know restaurants uh, just a, a, a whole array of things happen in uh, in these 18 years really so so like like I said, from hunger to uh, staying in five-star hotels, you know, red carpet pulled up, you know, like for you to come in and, and take the, the photos. So Wow. So you're like a, a digital nomad working the streets before it was really that even popular. No, no, I, I was a photographer. I mean, like it was not the digital nomad. It was like all of my jobs were in Bali. So, so oh. the Bali, I mean, me and Bali were kind of like coming up at the same time. There was not too much competition. So it's okay. kind of like pretty, pretty much like a Hollywood actor. Can you ride a horse? Oh, of course. Can you do this? Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, even though you can't. Uh, and then you kind of like over the years, you, you, you develop these things because as a photographer, it's a catch-22, you know, without a portfolio, you're not working, but without the work, you don't have a portfolio. So you have to ha somehow build it. And for me, it was kind of like this, yeah, I just slotted in into this thing where there was not a lot of competition and everybody, Bali was booming. So I was just kind of like propelled from one job to another. That's pretty much how it happened. Hmm. A lot of luck. I mean, a lot of luck. My whole yeah. life is just luck. <laughs> luck opportunity and ambition uh, i mean i i wouldn't look i mean it is luck i mean like uh, ambition i mean i didn't advertise i didn't talk to people what i do i just it was word of mouth and like i was jumping from one place to another and then over the 18 years you built something and you look back and like seriously it was just luck <laughs> well uh, i will I mean, say you there, do there have skill. my ability there, yeah. there's my ability that there's no it's undeniable but it took me probably 10 years to admit to myself that i have the ability you know like i mean now when people tell me like fuck you're so good i i i just to fuck with them i i say i know <laughs> uh, because i mean before i was kind of like you know i was just kind of like yeah okay i mean now i can like i know i know it's fine i mean like <laughs> i know i'm good you know so so it's i, I yeah you're very good your portfolio is incredible it took a while to get to this place of uh, of being comfortable so uh it's a long it's a long game so while we're on the topic of your photography something that that stood out to me was in the bio you sent to us, you said, when it comes to art photography, I am tra attracted to cultures in transition. What does that mean? Well, a lot of people will, will judge the, 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 the modern world interfering into, uh, in, into certain cultures. You know, like it happened in the States, it happened in Australia, and we're thinking, oh my God, like uh, Native Americans and Aborigines and all that stuff. However, I mean, there are pluses and minuses to this, let's say, Western type of living. And it's infiltrating everywhere. So while it, I was judging everything, like, oh my God, tourists, this, that, blah, blah, blah. But then you realize, I mean, like, there, there are pluses and also minuses to more comfortable life so all of these cultures that you're seeing around the world you know 
if you go to Africa, if you go here, if you go there. I mean, just the fact that you have internet and ability to talk to you guys, for example. Yeah. That is happening all around the world. So that is a plus. There are minuses to uh, mass mass tourism. There, there. Like I saw Bali kind of uh, being swallowed by by the mass tourism, uh, mm-hmm. but I no longer want to judge this thing. I mean, like because we're so precious about our time on this planet. Because look, people here through three thousand, they're just not gonna care. Like, it was 2,000. Who cares? Our life is really special to us. But, you know, we're not that special. We're <laughs> a tiny I mean, little do blip. You, well, yeah. do you really care about the guy who, from 1500s? No. Right. I mean, no. Uh, you know, it's an interesting story, but this is what I'm, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about transition. It is transitional. And, of course, we need... I, I, I would like for people who travel to be aware of this, you know, like how to travel. What are you actually doing when you are infiltrating cultures that they have not seen this advancement of, of the things? Because I, I find the people who are the poorest, who are with no means to be the best people, the most open. Mm-hmm. Once you have stuff, you're kind of like looking at the angle of the people who are coming at you. So cultures and transitions are, are exactly that. They're transitioning to something. Nepal in year 3000 is not going to be Nepal today. Nepal, Burma in 3000 is not going to be this. So, so it's, it's just, you know, like, you know, internet is like, but that, that, is, that is what I mean. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I'm trying not to judge, judge this uh, infiltration. I think, I think that's noble. So one of the countries that Bob and I have been interested in for a very long time since we've started doing the podcast, and for me even in undergrad, was Bhutan. And learning about Bhutan and their, I think it was until 1998 or 99 that they didn't allow television in their country. And it wasn't until the early 2000s that they allowed the first outside tourists into their country. So they had been prolonging this westernization, this modernization for a very long time. And now I think they're slowly allowing it to come in and they have a very strict limit on how many outside tourists can, or I guess any tourist is from the outside, how many of them can come in each year. It's extremely high cost. And also Bhutan is the only country that is measuring the happiness of their own people. So yeah, above GDP. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, interesting i mean it's one of one of the places that i want to go to uh but i i don't know i mean it it just i i I just i'm removing myself from judgment uh from anything like you know the the, i mean you you know i mean two backpackers you know like two backpackers talking about look man i spend uh five dollars a day and yeah everything was included and all these things blah 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 and just, there's a pride there and then the other guy goes like well you paid so much money like i can do it for two and a half and then you have this thing on the other side i spend hundred and fifty thousand dollars a day and i can spend more so so like the judgment of anything you don't know anybody's story you don't know how they got there mm-hmm. Uh, just get rid of that 
go to sleep, you know how you feel. It has nothing to do with anybody else's life whatsoever. So do you think your uh, photography is more of an, obs- an observation than a judgment and you're wanting to share that observation with others? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I can't, I can't judge. I, I, like, literally, you don't know who you're standing in front of. You're just kind of like, uh, you're, you're taking these images that are almost like symbols, uh, but you don't know anybody's story really unless you meet them, you mm-hmm. get to know them, all of that. And even then, you know, like you, you don't know what happened like when they were 10. Uh, that's how, why they reacted to a certain thing. So it's, it's just uh, removing judgment as much as you can is, is uh, I think it's a happier life. I would, you have, I would very much agree with that. I think that's wise, very wise. I would agree with it too, yeah. I know. But, <laughs> but, do, you, do, do you have any, any specific stories you could share with us of people you photographed that really influenced this thought process that you just explained to us? Well, I mean, maybe not uh, like specific people. Uh, uh, I, there, there are things that you photograph. I mean, what is very interesting to me is that uh, I work really, really fast. I'm not one of those photographers who kind of like, uh, I waited for this photograph for 17 hours, blah, blah. I work really fast. I just, I find that kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, there's some comfort there of fast moving. But what is really interesting for me is what people will project when they look at your photo. Because, I mean, essentially, I would take this photo, it will mean something to me or not. There are a couple of photos that mean a lot to me because of the advancement in photography or advancement in the way that I'm looking at the world. But what is really interesting to me is how people, when they're in front of your photos, uh, describe these photographs. Because some of the descriptions have lasted for half an hour. And I'm like, whatever you took, man, I want that <laughs> thing. I mean, it's just, it's, it is incredible the projection on the photograph, on a certain feeling of the people that... Uh, that see this photograph and, and just react to it for, for, for whatever reason, you know, like there are many, many photographs, you know, like, I mean, the little girl that I photographed when I, when I sold my first photograph, it was a, it was a Balinese kid. And then I literally gone for kids because, well, I made some money. And for two months I was trying to get these photographs of, of kids and all that, nothing worked. And then I had this little girl who literally was photographing me with her eyes. I mean, wherever I, I, I went, she was kind of following me, following me. And I got the most amazing photographs of her. Uh, that moment changed everything because I was in the moment. I was present. I was not looking for something. I was living, you know, like it wasn't like it just, you know, when you don't have any money, you're hungry and you make some money. You're thinking, I'm going to do this again, again. I mean, mm-hmm. but it doesn't happen that way. It just, you have to put, something has to happen. Some sort of, a, you know, out of the sky thing happens when you take that good photo. And, and that, was, that was the thing with this girl. It was just, you know, like completely living, completely forgetting everything. It was just me and her. I was photographing her. And that was like one of the most successful photographs that I, that I ever took in my life. That happened, I don't know, 15 years ago. And then that soul 
followed me. I photographed this girl in Bali. That soul followed me. I, I believe in, in Burma. I saw the same girl. It was the same type of connection. Then I went to Burma, I fought, like uh, India. It's just that same little girl <laughs> is there in a different body. So it, it is really like kind of like an out-of-body experience for me. So uh, once you transcend into that, and once you understand that there is no cheating here, it's like honesty about your process is it has to be there. Otherwise, it's just not going to work, man. It's wow. Not, it, 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 that's a really interesting perspective. So I, I'm... I'm not, my photography is much, my, my thought process behind my photography is much different. It's not nearly as, as uh, spiritual, and uh, I've never really felt that connection. But something that uh, I'm learning over the past maybe a year or so, I was always the type of guy to never understand art or photography. Like, I, I could appreciate what I saw, but when art pieces sold for a significant amount of money, I did, yeah, I don't get it. And it's not until recently that I did start to understand what makes a piece of art valuable. And a lot of it comes down to, to how you perceive that art and the, I guess, the story behind the picture, right? Or the story behind the painting. And when you understand the story, just as you told it to us, you know, the, the experience you had, it adds, it adds value to it because you, you can appreciate it. Um, it's really interesting. I, I followed this guy who had to live through the Holocaust. And he was a painter. He was a Jewish painter before the Holocaust. And then he made it to the United States, and he continued to paint. And obviously, after those experiences, his work changed significantly. Because, yeah. yeah. And, it changes you. Yeah. And, and so I, I kind of wanted one of his pieces of art. And it's not because of what he actually physically paints. It's because you can look at that painting and knowing his story sort of interpret his emotion and, and how he meant to make that piece of art. I don't know. It's really, and this is all brand new to me. And so it's really exciting yeah. to now look at art in this new way. And so I went through your Instagram page and I saw all these portraits of men um, and women in, I guess, the Asian countries and African countries. And I'm looking at them, and now I'm, I'm just curious about the story and their story, your story, how you came to photograph them, the emotion behind the eyes, and more about the culture. It's just, if you, if you have the right mindset, you can be very inquisitive with these paintings and pictures, and it's not just what you see, it's how you perceive it, and it can really spark the imagination, and I think that's what's appealing now is actually very interesting because I think that you, you hit the, the, like the, the, the really good point there. Uh, I have photographed so far only symbols. I haven't followed a story. Uh, I, I literally like all of my photos are symbols. When you when you look at like, when you look at Sebastián Salgado, like uh, my photography is a joke. Uh, because this guy went purposely for 10 years. Uh, I cannot leave my daughter. Fuck that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, no. I mean, like, no. This guy <laughs> left his family for 10 years. He was traveling. He almost lost his life. Start pissing blood. All of that changed the world. So 
I really am nothing. However, I have realized that I'm nothing. And that gives me a certain amount of freedom because I realized that I haven't followed really a story. I have followed, I, I photographed uh, uh, symbols and the fact that I'm, I just have this eye, I just happen to have this thing, gives me the ability to be as good as Makari or Salgado, blah, blah. But there's no story here. The story kind of like is being built now, really. Uh, and I don't know what is the next story because, I mean, the stories are the only thing that is important. When you're saying that uh, uh, art, you don't look look, art galleries are money laundering places. And I found that out going through uh, 14 countries, photographing all these books and all of that. And I went through probably 400 galleries around the world. When you look at the art there, uh, I want to stab somebody in the eye. How this looks like. <laughs> like, I don't know anybody who is kind of like going, oh my God, the art world is amazing. No, it's money laundering thing. You can sell something for ungodly amount of money, but I don't give, I mean, I, I hate this person. I, I really, I actually wanted to, I had this idea to challenge, I, that's why I, I took up jiu-jitsu. Uh, I wanted to challenge the artists to fight me because what they are projecting to the world is bullshit. I mean, it's absolute crap. I mean, like 90% of, of the gallery stuff is absolute money laundering. There's no doubt about that. Nobody will buy this. Nobody will want this on the walls and all that. However, uh, art lives and dies in by the viewer. If you like it, you just like it. That's it. It's over. You can stand in front of Mona Lisa, Van Gogh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you don't like it, you just don't like it. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just shitty for you. Right. So, I mean, there's a story. There's a massive story. But, I mean, like, art really lives and dies with a viewer. As an artist, you have, especially photographer, you have a pleasure of taking the photo, taking it to a computer, working on it, and then once you release it in the world, your job is done. Your pleasure is finished. That's it. It's only yours for the up until the moment you release it into the world. Once you release it into the world, it's no longer yours. You better be sure that what you release into the world, you're, you're standing behind it. Because, I mean, like, if you release it and somebody says, ah, it's not good, and you're like, oh, my God, it's not good, uh, you're done. If you're listening to the world, there's no happiness there. <laughs> and, of course, there are people who are very, very good, like uh, the, some advices, some some uh, uh, things that, uh, you know, like the, 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 the constructive criticism, man, I mean, like, it changed my life for sure. Yeah. But it's very rare. I want to I want to jump back when you when you talk about the art galleries, I understand um, that art galleries off. I've been into a few and they're always they always seem very high priced. Um, but my impression is that art galleries are, I guess, the artist pays to be in an art gallery. And that's how they get their their art, I guess, known and out in the world. And what what do you mean when you say that art galleries are money laundering? Well, I mean, you can put uh, 
whatever thing, uh, and you can sell it for whatever money that you want. The thing is, you have to put the money behind a certain artist, and you have to market them, and then they become whatever they become. It just you know like you just need to pick somebody and and put a massive amount of effort behind the artist. But what I mean by money laundry, go to art galleries. I mean, I've been, and ninety percent of the art in those art galleries. I mean, my daughter can do that. Like literally, my daughter can do that. It just it is sad. It is just. It's, it is ridiculous. It's full of, you know, the, the people who are like, oh my God, like, don't talk to me. I'm 23. I finished school. It's just, it's, it is ridiculous. It is, a ri- those are ridiculous places. So I you mean, think I, they're faking it? Is that what, you, like, do you, do you get a sense that they're not? Look, I mean, I'm, they're, look, I'm not, the, I'm not definitive in, in this thing. I mean, obviously there are places that are legit and all that. Of course, right. there are no absolutes, but I think it's, 80% of them are absolutely <laughs> There's actually a really good, bullshit. I don't know if you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but there's a great episode where they play into this uh, entire subject and they do it really, really well. I think it's called like Ungo Goblogian and uh, Danny DeVito pretends to be uh, uh, an art producer. <laughs> yeah. I, they use a guy who... A curator. They use Charlie who has this horrible story as like the artist. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great interpretation of this entire culture. Look, man, I mean, I've been in a gallery and there was a photograph of a, of a living room, right? And one photo is completely black and another photo is a photo of the, of the living room. And essentially, it says the artist wanted to prove that the, that the room looks very different when it's dark and when there's light in it. Get the fuck! I mean, like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, are, are are you are you? I mean, I, I just want to jump. Like, I want to, I, I want to stay. I I want to put this artist to sleep. <laughs> just like, what, what are we I, talking about here? Right. Yeah, I mean, right. there there's there's a place that is two hundred square meters with a pair of boots in the in the middle. I mean, seriously, you deserve to die. I mean, you just deserve to die. Uh, what do you what do you think about the monoliths that have been found recently? There is one in Utah, and then there have been two others found, and they're by unknown artists, and they're just these silver-looking things that are about eight feet tall, in random locations. I don't know about that, but I do believe that the history will be rewritten. Uh, I I I love Graham Hancock. I love uh, Randall Carson. Uh, I've with found, both of them. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's just they're uh, in, they're incredible, and I don't believe that the Egyptians built the pyramids, uh, but that's neither here or there. Well, the, uh, yeah, I, this is it's this very very interesting. <laughs> We're going on a lot of different tangents here, but um, I, I, I guess know. that's that's fine. Yeah, but yeah, the, the Graham Hancock thing is interesting. He has evidence of water erosion that is inconsistent with. Uh, what we believe currently. So it's like the, the, the type of water erosion on the pyramids is not consistent with the age that we think the structure yes. actually is. So that's really interesting. And then there's the, the lightning. The, there's, there's lightning impacts that appear to be older than what we think they yes. are. But in the Americas this year, in 2020, we discovered a cave. I forget where it is. Um, but it... Oh, yeah. In, in Peru or it may have been Brazil. 
And with yeah, and within that cave is evidence to suggest people migrated to the Americas fifteen thousand years older than we thought. So thirty thousand years ago, we now have evidence to suggest that people migrated to this country. Up until the discovery of this cave, cave this year, we thought people migrated here fifteen thousand years ago. So that added an additional fifteen thousand years to what we thought. I'm looking forward to the day when America will be the place of, of, of absolute culture because I, I do believe that uh, you know this uh, European uh, thing of like uh, they're 400 years old. I think that I'm really looking forward to I mean, look, Europe is already done. I mean like it's just taken over by everybody. Europe does not matter at all. Uh, but culturally right now it's you know one of the best things that we have. So uh, uh, I, I just don't, I mean, America took over like last hundred years, all of the cultures coming from there, whether you like to admit it or not, uh, music, movies, all of it is coming from the States. It just happened to be hundred years old, but we're all living it. We all know what is happening. We all follow, uh, you know, like the, uh, the ridiculously interesting elections uh, lately, uh, we, I mean, do you <laughs> know? Do you, uh, are you following like any elections anywhere around the world? No, we're all following. <laughs> well, why would you? I mean, it's right, just right. not interesting. I don't care. So, so what I'm saying is that America has this kind of like thing, and I, I always liked it. You know, like I, I always kind of like gravitated, and I do live that life. I do live a rock and roll life, so uh, you know, like I mean, come on, let's let's admit it. It's the best possible country in the world. It's the only country in the world actually that gets to live the multicultural life. You have white yeah, people, black I, people, Chinese, Indian, blah blah blah. You're like I, I I I didn't see any black people in Serbia. Uh, right. How many are there in Russia? How many, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a, it's a very interesting thing. And it, the lunacy of what is happening in States right now is just interesting. It's entertainment. I mean, really, it's serious for me. <laughs> but but it is entertainment for me. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I, do I care about what <laughs> is do. happening in America? Yeah. No. I, I know you do. But yeah. I, I kind of like look at it as in entertainment. I understand what you're saying, and and America is an incredibly. It it is very interesting culturally. It is it is an unbelievable country to 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 be a part of. But something that I I have this conversation often with people who are uh, dissatisfied with the Trump. We're dissatisfied with the Trump administration and the culture surrounding that following, and as a result, had some sort of dislike towards the United States and didn't want to represent an American flag and kind of had this sort of disconnect from what it is to be an American. And I, I would talk to them and I would try to remind them that you can be dissatisfied with an administration in a particular period of time, but don't forget what American culture actually is. It's very deep and it is, just like you said, the art and the music and the food and the people and this this conglomeration of global subcultures all thrown into one country and we're making it work and although we have a, a multitude of issues when it comes to how we uh, handle certain cultures and minority cultures and we, we still have a long way to go we actually are one of the most progressive countries in the world even with a you know a, a, an American defined co uh, conservative culture a Trump-like culture even with that culture existing in the United States, we're still one of the most progressive progressive countries in the world. 
the fact that we even discuss issues associated with minorities is a testament to how uh, how progressive we are. And so I, I think people kind of forget that. And it is, it, it's very interesting to hear your take on our culture. Yes, it is. That yeah. was well said, Bob. We're, 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 we're all living it. We're, we're all living this culture. And plus, I mean, look, America for me really does not exist. Uh, you are just a mixture of all of the fucking country. There's like all of it is there. Like every like you have people from Zanzibar, you have people from Australia, you have people from India, you have people from Pakistan, Africa, this that. It's it's just le- this is the kind of like a testing ground for the world. Yeah. America is. We don't because know if it's gonna work that, out yet. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I mean, yeah. obviously not, because I mean, like everybody are, are are carrying their own ridiculous baggage, and we're all pretty much the same. I mean. Have yeah. you ever met anybody who has traveled extensively and said the world is a horrible place, people are terrible, uh, it's very dangerous? No. Everybody who are traveling are saying the same thing. It is much safer than you think. It is much easier than you think. And people are super nice. Yes, there are extremes, but they are at, uh, at, 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 at 3%. So, uh, and... and of those 3%, there are 2% of the stupid people who go to places that are kind of like, do not go there. Yes, they're Just looking for trouble. Don't go there. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, so, so have you met anybody who is saying that the world is bad? Who no. traveled? I haven't. No. No. It's interesting. We've had this conversation on our, we have a new segment called the Travel Around Table, and we did a cultural appropriation episode that'll be coming out in a bit. And we talk about this subject in particular about the globalized mixing of cultures and where we'll be in, you know, 500 years if, you know, climate change hasn't completely decimated us. And I think America is a good starting point of what the entire world will look like at some point where we're just all mixed. Because, I mean, someone coming from India to America or Zanzibar to America in 300 years that family that came from Zanzibar or India to America is no longer considered a someone from Zanzibar or India. I mean, as now, like I'm not considered a German, even though my heritage is German, I'm American. And we are going to have so many different colors in America and they're all going to be American. Yes. And it'll be still a mixed bag of cultures, but it'll be the American culture as the mixed bag. Yeah, I just had that had that conversation tonight. Uh, like, what what it, we are really really precious about our lifetime. It does not matter. I mean, what matters is how you are with people, and all of that. That matters. At right now, you're gonna die, and then it's gonna be like three thousand. Right now, year three thousand. No, that's it. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be year three thousand, and really, you're just gonna be a speck of history yep. yeah i mean that's it so i want to transition back into travel since this is a travel podcast but <laughs> the one the the last question i had on art was are you familiar with the comedian the art piece it is literally a banana duct taped to a wall yes i am very familiar because i did the i did the podcast with the with the guy who used it uh, actually uh, he is making tennis rackets 
and this banana was sold for about a million dollars and uh, and he is making tennis frames so he duct tape the banana and next to it is the tennis racket which is lasting forever and he's going like well if this sold for a million how much how much is my record it just goes forever yeah uh, uh, 120,000 uh, that's what it sold for yeah 120,000 right yep uh, I'm very familiar with that thing I think it's uh, I think it's kind of like uh, Jackson Pollock you know like if you could if you're a brilliant businessman you, you can know, sell good, anything good on you I mean like I mean, they're, they're businessmen. I mean, they're amazing. But uh, no, I, I wouldn't be looking at that piece of shit. Uh, no. <laughs> sorry. But, you know, like, sorry. No. All right. Well, when we, we, you and I spoke a few weeks ago prior to the podcast, and I remember one of the things you talked about was that you have a young daughter right now, and you said that she has moved with you to upwards of 30 different apartments in the first 18 months of her life. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, intense. Uh, and was that all within Bali, or is that in different countries in the southeast? No, different countries. Different okay. Countries. Uh, she she was born in Portugal, and then uh, in, uh, from Portugal she was kind of like constantly going to uh, Russia, and then she went to uh, to Serbia, and then to Indonesia. This is before she was born. Uh, Indonesia. Then she came back to Portugal to change. God knows how many apartments. No, in Greece, changed a lot of apartments. Greece, uh, a lot of trips to again, Serbia, Holland. It was just a lot. It was just uh, too much. How uh, old is she now? Uh, almost four. Almost four. Okay. Yeah. What was like? What was that like moving around with her? Because we've talked to a few families that have had young children travel with them and move around with them but i don't think anything to the extent that you've done super easy i mean like the, the when they're babies you're just taking care of the the football that, that cries and poops yeah so you just kind of like move her around it's not it's not a problem at all uh, uh the experience in the plane is super interesting because before I had my daughter, uh, you know, like, you know how you look at the people with the child that is crying? It's like, you're ruining my trip. Uh, <laughs> yes. Now I'm kind of like spiking her to cry and to ruin people's <laughs> lives because I, I get a weird pleasure out of it. Uh, so uh, Remind me not yeah. to take a flight with you. No, no, I mean, like, I'm the worst. I mean, I just want her to do this, you know, like, complete meltdowns. I'm just kind of, like, completely into it. It's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, just cry more. Uh, so so uh, it's kind of like, I don't know. But, I mean, she's a super nice traveler. I mean, like, she, she never had any kind of meltdowns. I and mean, she's super, super chilled uh, uh, traveler. So, and so uh, yeah. Have, no have you traveled with her recently? I know it's been almost nine months now since the pandemic started but no we we came from we were in holland uh, my sister was doing uh uh she's a modern dance choreographer so i was doing photos for her and then we came uh, we were in serbia for three days that was crazy man i mean like that, that, that trip was insane because we stayed in serbia for three days alexa my daughter had a three months on her passport so meaning that we had to change the passport and uh, 
uh, we came into Serbia, my wife is Russian. So that night when we arrived, that night Serbia shut down. So meaning that if she came the next day, she wouldn't be able to come in, my wife. Then the next day we did the passport for Alexa in one day, which was kind of like heavy connections and all that. Whoa. That night they they closed all the governmental stuff. So basically the next day we would not be able to do this. And then the <laughs> next day we traveled to Bali and Bali shut down three days later. Wow. So we were just, uh, I mean, <laughs> so we've been here for, I think, yeah, since the start, March, I think, April, yeah. February, March. So, what's yeah. it what's it been like there we talked about that in the very very beginning but i am really curious to see what bali's been like throughout this pandemic without all the tourists and it basically just being a handbag of expatriates and locals amazing yeah amazing i mean it's been it's been really really good uh, because i mean i wasn't paying attention to pandemic i was just working i was kind of like reinventing myself and trying to do stuff and i was really paying close attention to what is happening because you know we have a nice house pool uh, i can go out all that stuff i was in europe experiencing these things and i cannot really talk to my friends and tell them really what is it like because i mean i will not have friends uh so, <laughs> because it's so too it's, good right yeah it's really kind of uh easy ride uh, but uh, that being said, uh, Bali is decimated by this. Uh, people lost their businesses. Uh, people lost their uh, just everything. Uh, going around certain areas in Bali, which was sort of really kind of really busy and stuff like that. There's like seventy percent of the shops are on uh, for rent. Uh, businesses that were been there I, I was on the openings of many of these shops uh, they're out of business so for a lot of people uh, it has been uh, just a, I, I don't know I, I really don't know what what are they going to do what what is happening but for like the, the whole world really it, it's just uh, it, it's been a, a horrible horrible thing absolutely to, yeah i mean it's just uh you know i mean for me personally you know i i can't complain i really i mean if i would say one word i can't complain yeah and i think my wife and i i think bob you and i have talked about this as well i think we're very fortunate a few of the very fortunate people to have weathered this pandemic um but absolutely the tourist destinations of the world have hurt the most i think from this pandemic but as a photographer it seems like some of the best photos are when you have the right time and place. And is this, have you found opportunity in this pandemic to photograph the different aspects of life in Bali now that it's changed? I, I haven't taken a photograph that is, that means anything to me in the last three years. Uh, okay. Uh, not even a little bit. I'm not interested in, uh, in documenting this at all. Um, uh, for some reason, um, uh, Bali is not the place of, of let's say, passion uh, to photograph because I've been here for too long. I know everything. Uh, it's just it's not the place of passion uh, to photograph. I am living here, and I understand that how crazy that sounds. But but uh, but 
I'm looking for for something else. I'm looking for something that is beyond this pandemic and all that. And I think that the first place that that I'm going to go to, I'm planning this right now, is Mentawai and photograph their tribes. Uh, I'm. I just don't. Yeah, so, I can't. I can't do it. So, do you use photography to learn about a culture? And and if you do. Um, if you do use photography to sort of understand the people in the culture, like what is it that you then want to portray with your photographs? Interesting question. Uh, I'm looking for connection. Uh, I, I'm I, I'm I'm looking for that five thirty in the morning, uh, walking around the city, and just taking it in. I'm not looking for as i'm saying like symbols i'm looking for this moments that 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 are, cannot really be described and, or, or transcript into into something that is uh, tangible for other people to see uh i'm looking for waking up in nepal and uh, and, and and going out in the streets uh, sitting down six o'clock having chai with the locals that is what i'm looking for i'm, I'm looking for the per personal connections to to the people that that is yeah. that is what i'm really looking for uh, uh, that is I, the best i understand it, to me it, it sort of sounds like you um you want to live this this parallel to vagabonding or not backpacking per se but this this travel style that people use to immerse themselves in the culture. They want to live the day-to-day. -day. They want to experience the relationships authentically with the people who run the shops. And sure. instead of going to the resort, they want to get to know the guy who, uh, you know, takes the trash out and, and what his life sure. is like. I, sure. I don't know if that's a, if that's a accurate. It is. It is. I mean, look, my, my life has been nothing but luxury for the last couple of years, you know, like, uh, Really, I mean, stayed in all this, but I, I, I just, you know, like that part of uh, knowing that guy is is uh, is important to me, and, and I'm I'm kind of like looking to go back into that because my life has been really a lot of luxury stuff in the last uh, couple of years, and uh, and that is amazing. I mean, it's really really cool, but uh, but I think that the balance is is something that we're all looking for really it's is that balance of having this and that and not be judgmental about this or that because i know both i know mm -hmm. that i grew up with like every single person who has some money you know like you know is is not decent and they stole something that is how i grew up uh, which is absolutely not true <laughs> it's just 100 percent not true Right. Uh, this is the culture that I come, I'm coming from, you know, like, and this is a baggage that I'm kind of carrying. Uh, so it's not true. Uh, I have met people who work hard and did stuff, but I came up from communism, you know, like where, you know, like uh, if you have something, you're bad. You, you so it's, it's this. Mm. So the ba balance is, is really, really important. I mean, like, in everything, I, I I feel you know if you kind of like leave this world of 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 backpacking 
and go into luxury world and kind of like look down at the at the backpacking world, you're crazy. If you're a backpacker looking at the people who are spending hundred thousand dollars a day, is like oh my god they're evil. Well, you're just stupid because you don't know how they got there. You, right. you literally don't know how they got there. So you know like and you kind of want it. Yeah. You know, you're sharing a bed with 17 people. You just, you would like a bed for you. <laughs> I mean, like, don't lie. So, right. so it's like this balance of, of stuff. But I mean, having both worlds is that balance, I feel. Nicola, I'm going to ask something and I hope it's not too off base. But you talk a lot about not judging people and not being judgmental. But you are very judgmental on certain art galleries. 100%. <laughs> they deserve it. <laughs> is that the only thing? Is that is that the okay thing to be judgmental on? Oh, no. I'm super judgmental. I'm just kind of like trying to be like this, you know, like not judgmental, not judgmental guy. Look, everybody <laughs> will judge. Let's be honest. I mean, like, come on. There's no perfection here. It's, perfection is not available. I mean, but striving to not, you know, judge is is a good thing. I mean, striving and, and having that somewhere in the back of your mind because you don't know how they got there. Because, I mean, okay, I, I was quick, obviously, quick to judge all of these things, but that guy who plastered the banana, I mean, like, may, there might be a great story to it. I mean, all of that. A lot of artists who got there got there 20 years later. That is also a thing. So, so uh, there are outliers in everything, but just having that in the back of your mind is good enough to start with. You're going to judge forever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's human nature. I mean, I, I think we judge before we do anything else. And it is, it is our evolved minds that actually help us stop the judgment and recognize it as judgment. Absolutely. One thing that I want to touch up on that uh, before we come to a close, and we're kind of getting there, I just want to discuss your 12-city guide and the book that you did. Um, can you just take us through the travels involved with that and essentially what, what the finished product is like? Yeah, I mean... Uh, what was this project? What, what was this project? The thing was that uh, I was in Bali for 18 years. My wife was in Bali for 12. So we came to kind of like a close of Bali life. We were thinking that we're going to kind of like take off somewhere else and find a better place. We decided to do, uh, uh, to open up a publishing house and uh, go and travel and do these books. So the travel guides were really connected to uh uh, privately owned places and it, look i mean if you're going to rome i don't need to tell you you know like there's a Colosseum there it's just you know if you're going to paris yeah sure you're gonna see the eiffel tower so our guides were kind of like let's go to the cities and find these little places and alleys and all that so so this is what these books were about it, it took off uh from i think vietnam it was no, Rome was the first book, and then we came back to Bali uh, and did uh, uh, my visa for Australia was kind of like delayed, so we were kind of like, we got to get out of here. 
we did a book about Vietnam, got the visa for Australia, did the Melbourne and, and Sydney. Then went to Buenos Aires, did the Buenos Aires book, and uh, then it kind of like took off crazy Hong Kong and uh, I don't know Moscow, Saint Pete. Uh, and there's Rome, twelve of them, correct? Yes, there's twelve of them. Yes. And so they're they're yes. off the beaten path. Uh, information is that an, an accurate Look, description? It's cities, so nothing is off the beaten path. <laughs> I mean, like really, it's just like, off the beaten path is only underwater. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's like. Only uh, you can kid yourself. I mean, like uh, you know, it's just off the beaten path for tourists. Hundred percent. I mean, this off the beaten path is just ridiculous because I mean, I I've, I've been off the beaten path. Like, look, I mean, that story that I was telling you about, uh, you know, like when we were diving in uh, in um, in uh, off the coast of Flores, fifteen nautical miles, and kind of decompressing. Uh, uh, after a dive in front of a, a active volcano and volcano exploded and you're decompressing and Wait, who you're didn't tell this like, you didn't tell us this story. no okay. no so, <laughs> okay so i will tell you the story so so the story is this uh there's a comp uh the place is called comba volcano it is 15 nautical miles no north to flores it is the active uh, volcano. Are you saying Flo- where? where? Flores, Flores in Indonesia. Uh, okay. It's kind of like you have uh, Bali, Komodo. Uh, Komodo is in Flores. And then off uh, off to Alor is the next uh, chain of islands. Okay. So essentially, <clears throat> it is 15 nautical miles uh, north of, of Flores. There's a, there's a volcano that ex- explodes every 20 minutes. Oh. Uh, we... We kind of took our boat to this place, and uh, essentially, maybe ten miles before you see the volcano, you're seeing a little volcano and these little farts that are kind of like every fifteen minutes. <laughs> volcano so you're fart. approaching and approaching. A, yeah, you're approaching this volcano, and then we parked. Let's say, I don't know, two hundred. Uh, 200 feet from from the volcano and then it explodes and you're looking at it like like right there and then uh, a friend of mine and myself went down diving underneath it and we took this dive and it was amazing and all of that and then we were decompressing at probably three four meters and you're looking up and it explodes again so now you're looking at this mushroom cloud just kind of like forming and you're like okay I, I should die now because my life is never gonna be better ever <laughs> and then we came out we had a lunch and all of that decided to go on the speedboat and have a couple of bottles of wine you know like uh, watching this thing it exploded again and then my wife decided that she wanted to hug the volcano, which after a couple of bottles of wine sounded like a great idea. She stepped on the island, hugged the volcano, came back, weather shifted completely. I mean, she was just kind of like uh, from this beautiful ice glass water to waves. We somehow got on the boat. The boat starts to kind of like we're trying to get out of there. And we realized that our anchor is just 
you know, it's, it's not going. So Dive Master jumps into the water, goes to what we'll find out later was like about, I don't know, 80 meters, <laughs> which is 200 and something feet. Yeah. He releases this thing. And you're kind of like constantly kind of like trying to get this anchor up. And it's like, and then all of a sudden, but to get back from 80 meters is an hour. So we're waiting for him, we're waiting, and it's just, just, uh, the water is just exploding around us. This volcano is exploding. (laughs) We're just, oh my God. What's the name of this volcano? uh, Comba. All right, I'm going to find it. K-O-M-B-O. And uh, and then he comes back, and then American culture. We put Pulp Fiction soundtrack on, we press play, <laughs> and nobody spoke for uh, until next morning. It was just uh, like one of the best days of my life. Wow. The very next day, the very next day, we were diving with hammerhead sharks. So uh, surrounding yeah, us yeah. and all. It's, it's yeah, we're gonna come. Crazy. We're gonna come. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> I need some danger in my life. It's getting too pushy. Bob, you hate sharks. <laughs> yeah, I do hate sharks. And I don't. I don't think they were in a cage. They were pretty. That was amazing. I mean, like that, that dive was was incredible. I mean, I, I dove a couple of times with them, but that dive was crazy because we went down. I was I was with this friend of mine who is uh, who's a. Uh, Diving in Mexico in the caves, almost, almost, he lost his uh, his line, and he had like left or right, like left is death and right is maybe life. He chose correctly, and he was he's telling this story where he almost dies, like it's a really kind of like I mean he's telling this story and I'm like biting my nails and all of that, and. Uh, and then right after that story, I'm, I tell him, man, I, I dove with hammerheads. And he's like, damn it. I never, I never dove with hammerheads. <laughs> and I promise him, you're going to see one with me. And that happened the next day after this combo exploded. We went on a dive. We went down murky water, all that. And all of a sudden, they're there. And then one of them starts circling us. And you're just seeing this flash around you, just going around you. And they're massive. <laughs> they get to be 20 feet. And they, they're one they, of the only sharks that swim in schools, right? Or not, I shouldn't say one uh, of the only They're, they're massive, them. massive schools. I mean, like 200, yeah. two, 300. Right. I have a couple of buddies of mine who were, who were in the waters with them uh, when there are like two, two, 300 of them above you. It's yeah. just, it's incredible. Crazy. It's, it's, ha- it's all happening here in Indonesia. So it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, that's, but... That's, that is that is something I really want to do. I've always wanted to dive with sharks, um, probably in a cage first, and then no, and no, no, then no, no. open I mean, water. No, the cage is only for great whites, man. I mean, like the the these are. I mean, the hammerheads are. Well, I mean, they can be dangerous, but yeah, uh, just but, don't I mean, bleed. Like this, well, yeah, I mean, black tips and all that. that that's just really. I mean, when I'm listening to the Hollywood stars, you know, kind of like, why well, we do with sharks? And you kind of like realize it's a black tick sharp. sharp. There's like a tuna, really. Yeah, I've done black tips as well. I was in Thailand scuba diving. Uh, and yeah. 
or snorkeling, and there was a bunch of plastics. They're apparently very harmless. They're, yeah, oh, they're that's cool. very, very harmless. A way to describe it. <laughs> to, to humans. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nicola, in light of recent events that are occurring in Indonesia with the proposition to ban all alcohol, I just want to touch on this really quick. Have you heard of this? What are your thoughts? Uh, never going to happen. Uh, there's no way. I mean, look, 10 years ago, they were talking about banding uh, girls in the bikini. So, no, that's not going to happen. Okay. It's just not going to happen. I mean, they should legalize weed. Uh, that's what I think. I think that's going the other way. <laughs> I, I know it is, but this is the country that really, uh, I think it's, but it's never going to happen. Look, I mean, this country is a little bit, uh, it's strict, you know, like, I mean, the, the, all this, this, the, the alcohol is also super expensive here. I mean, the bottle of wine is like 25 bucks, you know, so it's ridiculous. A lot but of that never, stems from the, from the Muslim culture that is prevalent in Indonesia, right? It's predominantly Muslim, Muslim culture. Bali is the only place in Indonesia that is that is predominantly Hindu. Okay. Uh, but look, I mean, it's just uh, it is what it is. Uh, there are pluses and minuses, and uh, like in every culture, and uh, I don't think that the alcohol ban is ever going to happen. Okay. That's not possible. All right, we got it from firsthand. Yeah. Someone living in Bali. So who will so ever about- come here? We are we are winding down, and we are going awesome. to do our rapid fire round, where we're going to answer sure. twelve questions in rapid succession. But before awesome. we do, I want to give you the opportunity to give us your your social media, your websites, whatever it is you want to share, wherever it is you want to direct our listeners to check out your content. Sure, uh, my Instagram is Nikola Kostic uh, underscore uh, Prince N I K O L A K O. S-T-I-C underscore prints. Uh, another thing is Bali Art Prints. And uh, my uh, my YouTube channel is Nikola Kostic. They were, I, fought, I, I interviewed a couple of really interesting people like uh, underwater photographers, uh, Formula One photographers, uh, uh, a really interesting geographer, photographer. Uh, just there are a couple of interesting people there. Yeah, I checked that out. I, I saw that you interviewed Trevor Cole. He's someone that I've been following for quite a bit of time. Oh, sure, he sure. He's really interesting. He's incredible. I mean, if you want, if you, if you want Trevor, Trevor on your show, just let me know, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to hook it up. Yeah, no yeah, problem. That'd be amazing. Uh, 100%. Hey, while you're in Bali, if you get a chance, stop by the Artful Inc. Tattoo Studio. We had the owner, Paolo Martino, on... Uh, last year, maybe a year and a half ago, and he has oh, some really interesting motorcycle stories traveling across continents. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, he might be a good guy to to interview. I mean, he's not a photographer, but if that's what you. If that's the only thing, if that's a parameter that he needs to be met yeah, for you to much, interview them. But much. yeah, I don't. Yeah, pretty he's much. a really interesting guy, though. Either way, yeah, you could always grab a beer with him. Yeah, he's Look, a cool dude. I think there, there are a lot of there. Are, there are a lot of interesting lunatics in Bali. That's yes. <laughs> All right. Nicola, you ready for the rapid fire? Yep. All right. Bob, I'll start. Okay. Nicola, what is the first word that comes to mind when you hear the word travel? Yeah, freedom. I like it. Uh, what home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> nothing. No, nothing. All right. 
If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Oh, silver. Definitely silver. Silver. In liquid form. That would be very warm. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you, you didn't say possible. You said any. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, so. so. true. So that, I mean, it has to be. <laughs> Who would win in a fight? An accountant or a banker? Oh, man. I think accountant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. You think they're just so fed up with the bankers? Well, I mean, they're 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 keeping track of the money, so you know, like you just you know, like there's a special kind of uh, you know, uh, I think motivation there. So uh, they know <laughs> yeah. what's, what, they know what's going on. Would you rather drink wine or coffee for the rest of your life? Wine, definitely. Say hello in your favorite language. Aloha. Oh. If you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? Uh, yeah. Fuck. Uh, the the just a second. Uh, Citizen Kane, Ooh. director. Orson oh. Welles. Orson Welles, hundred percent. Wow, that's a good one. We haven't heard that response before. Oh, the best stories ever. The best stories ever. <laughs> I urge you to listen to all of his stories. They're the best. Will do. Um, what is one item remaining on your bucket list? Oh, there are many, man. I mean, uh, but Africa and Alaska are 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 there. Like that's that's pretty much uh, visiting those uh, visiting those places. Those are those are very good choices. Uh, if you could pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would you choose? I mean, it would be amazing if Christian Bale would do it. Ooh, I can see that. I can see that. Or Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's a good one. Two great choices. Yeah, Yeah, very good. That'd be incredible. (laughs) I mean, not even close, but, you know, like, okay. I mean, it's a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you were were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, what city would you choose? Amsterdam. 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 Wow, that was fast. That was really, that was truly rapid. Uh, if you owned a yacht, what would you name it? <laughs> I wouldn't own the yacht. My wife owns two, so I don't want to own it. Uh, they're Ooh. already called Alexa and Alexa J. Ah, uh, all right. Last question. So, you don't want to own the yacht, man? <laughs> you <laughs> no. want to rent? You want someone else to own it and you enjoy it. Oh, God. Do not own the yacht. It's, uh, it's interesting, but no. Sound advice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I ever encounter the opportunity, first, first, yeah, this experience, trust me. Yes. Last question. What is one piece of advice you give a decade young version of yourself? Decade younger version of yourself. Uh, Like, time does not matter, man. I mean, like, uh, it's all long game. It's just long, it's a long game. If you want to build anything that is of uh, of substance, uh, age doesn't nothing matters. It's just a long game. That's okay. it. Like a it. long game. Yeah. Put in for the long for the long term. Yep. Well, Nicola, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a pleasure speaking with you, hearing all of your stories, and discussing art, which we rarely get to do on this travel podcast. This is a nice spin. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. I wasn't expecting it, but yeah, I just yeah. Like, hopefully, <laughs> I'll see. I'll see how this looks like. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and we'll stay in touch. Awesome, thank you. 
Nicholas the type of guy I, you could walk into a bar with him at 8 p.m. He, so he'll he'll text you, hey man, come to the bar, have a beer with me. You walk in, it's 8 p.m. You think you're going out for maybe dinner and a beer. You stumble out at 3 a.m. <laughs> having the time of your life, having shared incredible travel stories. He's a cool dude, and and I really enjoy just kind of shooting the crap with him. Yeah, I did too, and it, it definitely took a turn that I did not think it would take. I mean, he just has so many life experiences for one individual, for one life. It's mm-hmm. just, I mean, we could talk with him for another three hours and record a different conversation each time. And it would just be very fascinating. Yeah. And we've established friendships with a few people through this podcast. And I have a feeling, hopefully he's a reoccurring guest because each conversation I think would be incredibly unique and it would be, it would be pretty awesome to have him back on again in the near future. Yeah. And I've never been to Bali, but I would feel comfortable going knowing that he could be there. (laughs) I've never been to Bali either, but how many times have we had it come up on this podcast? It's a no brainer. There's a, has to be a reason it's as, as popular as it is. And so, yeah, it's come up probably in, I don't know, 10 to 25% of all of our podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, yeah. So we'll have to go there one day. Yeah, we will. All right. Well, well, thank you for listening to the podcast. Of course, uh, if you enjoy the show, you could do two things to really help us out. One, you could just like and subscribe and then rate the podcast. That's like a non non financial way to back us. The other one would be to sign up on Patreon and provide us with as little as one dollar per month, one dollar a month to help fund the show and our time. Either way, we appreciate it. We appreciate you. You're a huge reason of, of, of why we do this podcast to share travel travel stories. So thank you for listening to the show and tune in next week. Thank you.